Hi everybody. Hi everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the three o'clock workshop. And the um, topic for today is half measures availed us nothing. Letting go absolutely. So welcome to that workshop. My name is Terry. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. The session is being taped. All participants are required to sign a release form meaning you're aware that you've been taped and you need to come up to the podium and speak into the microphone because it's going directly into the recording equipment. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The, ex the opinions expressed here are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. So the format for this is that we have a panel of three speakers, and each speaker will share for 20 minutes, and then that will be followed, the entire set of three speakers will be followed by questions and answers. So the Ask It Basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in this box for our panelists. So. We'll begin with our first speaker, which is Mary Jo. Please welcome Mary Jo. Oh, and my release is here for me right now. Um, hi, I'm Jo, a compulsive eater. Seems like this is a microphone, actually. Does it seem like it? No? It's not? Okay. Still, okay, I'll try my best to speak loudly. So. My name is Joe. I'm a compulsive eater. And all it takes to be a member of OA is that you have a desire to stop eating compulsively. So if, you know, that's the, all it takes, it's really good. Um, so I think this is a little tricky for me because it's like when you think about a topic area and then you just think about your own story. It's like, what's my, how does my story link to this topic? And I was driving over with my buddy today and just saying like, what, you know, how does this, well, how would you approach this? You know, and part of the challenge of being a compulsive eater, honestly, for me is being perfectionistic. Perfectionism is at the root of so much, so much of my challenge as a person and as a, an eater. So I, all I can tell is my story. Cause that's what my friend said, uh, your story is the only thing you have your own story and how it works. So for me, um, my statistics are that at my highest weight, I was 300 pounds. Um, in 19, between 1982 and 85, I lost 170 pounds by being the most perfect dieter you will have ever seen. For two years, 
nothing past these lips that did not fit on this, you know, thing. My, I don't have to tell you which one it was because you all probably did them all anyway. It doesn't matter. So, and then I worked for them and I was like back in Detroit and I was this little star. I was part of this um, speaker's bureau and, you know, I was a leader and I did meetings and blah, blah, blah. And it was so over, it was just over the top obsessiveness about food and talking about food and thinking about food and living food to the point that it was nearly impossible. It was impossible for me to, to maintain what I was doing. And by probably, so I was working in 1986. By 1987, I slinked away with my tail between my legs, having gained back probably at that point maybe 40 pounds. But then I went on to gain another 100 so I altogether gained back of my 170, I gained back about 125 of it. And that's when it really got clear to me that I'm not going to be normal when it comes to this topic, um, when it comes to food. And one of the reasons why is because, and I say this in my share a lot, I was born rattled. I was born and I was the um, only girl in a family of five um, kids and was kind of the big sister, bossy big sister person and also kind of the scapegoat in a way and I I say that with a lot of love for my my uh, mom right now because we have a really lovely healing that's happened and she's actually kind of losing her memory and she's getting to be like almost like a little kid and so I'm just adoring her now but back when you know, things as a child, I feel like a lot of things happened were, that I was kind of holding the wounds of our family. And I think for a lot of us, I think we come from families in which we have dysfunction. I just think it's part of the nature of it. But we're only speaking to our OA part, which is good. But for me, I felt like I was kind of carrying the wound. And I didn't really know what that was or how that was. And I kind of discovered it. It was weird. I used to teach in um, the county jail, uh, drug and alcohol education. And what I realized when I was in front of these men was that I was with a bunch of people who were just like me and their family, that we were the people. And it sort of hit me that there was this old Bible story about when they would sacrifice the lambs for in behalf of the sins of the people and they were the scape or the goat the scapegoat right so it was holding the sins of the people and i realized it was kind of a noble thing hey you know what you guys we're like pretty cool we're holding all of this you know we're holding our whole family's things and so everybody thinks we're the bad kids and actually we're really holding the thing you know we're the ones and so that got to be kind of something awesome for me but at any rate, I don't want to go into my whole old story too long because this is really about half measures availed us nothing. But I have to tell you that I kind of lived half meals of uh, half measure. Is that what we're talking about? Wait, did, okay, because we got confused. Okay, no. Um, I just want to make sure I'm on the same right place. So, um, thank you, Terry. Um, that, you know, truly... For years at a time, very perfectionistic, can follow any diet. And I used to ask the men in the jail, it's like, okay, you might be able to do this, you know, for really long periods of time because I could do this for really long periods of time. But eventually, you know, you're 
you can call it the rug gets pulled out from under you. You can just call it a wake-up call from your higher power, a knock on your hood. You know, it starts as a whisper, turns into a knock, turns into something but a lot louder when we need it to. But what are you going to stand on on that day? And so I kind of feel like that's part of how I've lived my life. But there does come a day when all shit hits the fan. Sorry, I know we're not supposed to swear, but all hits the fan. And then what do I stand on? And so, I mean, honestly, I can diet with the best of them and I can, you know, go up and down. I was refugee thin unsustainable for me but you know eventually I gained back 125 pounds and there's something about that I don't even really know I've been trying to think of it for a long time about what it is that has us hold the weight and for a lot of us there's not physical recovery there are a lot of people that I know in a way that are not having physical recovery and it's like why is that and, I, and I've learned because I had a really, really good support partner years ago. And she used to, when I'd be like, why, why is this? She'd say, you know what, take the charge off that question. It's a good question. Why? Why? So, you know, one of the things about this is the tools work really well. The writing tool for me is a great tool. And I'm actually, um, in quotes, a screenplay writer. I'm trying to do a screenplay right now. It's really ridiculous. But... Right, I'm writing about recovery, and my best friend, who's also my sponsor from uh, Detroit, and we've known each other for 40 years, and so now we're kind of having a step four screenplay, which is hilarious, because all of a sudden we're like, what? Wait, wait, who called you and said that? You know, so it's getting kind of crazy, but it's really good because I'm finding that now I'm really going even deeper. I remember when I started in program, she said, oh, we're going to know each other really well now. We thought we knew each other well, but now we're really going to know each other. And that's one of the things that I have to say that's been great. And one of the, the reasons why I will never give up my chair in OA um, a lot of people, you know, w- when I used to teach in the jails, they'd be like, well, what's the point of keeping on going there once you got it licked, you know? Okay. If you've ever got it licked, you let me know because you need to call your sponsor because that's, you don't. <laughs> Trust me on that. So one of the things about it for me is that, crap, I'm 64 and I lose my train of thought so often. I lost that. Probably another one coming. Another good train's on its way. Um, no. Oh my gosh! So half of half measures have failed us, and let's just bring us back to the topic. Thinking you have it made, yes, and knowing that I don't ever have it made, and so one of the things that I realize is that if we don't need to be at OA, they need us. So that's the part that's really important for me now. It's like if I'm having really good days all the time, then I need to be at the meeting for someone who's not having a really good day or someone who's really struggling or a newcomer. And so for me, a newcomer is somebody that represents where I came from prior to coming to OA because when I got to OA, that is where I realized this is where I stay because I can diet, I can fast, I can... Whatever. I mean, I, you name it. I know they do a really good job in step one of telling all the things that people did. I don't think I ever did that thing where you draw wire or whatever. I didn't quite get what that was. But most of the other things, except really throwing up because I'm just really averse to that. But 
I think, you know, now when I got to OA, my very first sponsor, and I always share this because I feel like it's one of the key things that happened to me. It was right within the first week of starting program. He said, um, I don't really care what you put in your mouth. My only question to you is, are you serene? And that has been a guiding question for me is like, if I'm not serene, something else is going on. And so, um, Something else is happening if I'm not serene because most of the time, honestly, I have developed a spiritual program that has me being serene a good part of the time, probably 95%. And when the 5% happens, usually it has nothing to do with this moment right here, right now. I'm discovering that as well, that it's usually something that's back there and it's something that I need to somehow, you know, be with and being with. So... Being able to be with myself when I have feelings. Over this last two years, within one year's time, I lost my two beloved cats. I'm probably going to cry. Two totally beloved beings within seven months of each other. And it was, like, really hard because I live alone and they're my family, really. And I just had to say, you know what? Let me sit with this. And I have, like... I have, like, the same bottle of wine I had for two years. I just realized it was two years old. That was in my fridge, halfway full. But, and I've, I actually just threw it out because my daughter brought us another one that now we'll probably go for next year. But what I would ask myself is, like, when I was feeling so much grief about that, I just was like, that would take the edge off of that right now. That would take that edge off. But you know what? No, let's stay here. And so just staying in my body and feeling my body and feeling uncomfortable. And, you know, my sponsor says, like, addicts think that they should never have an uncomfortable day. <laughs> really, it's kind of ridiculous. Most, And she says most people in the world have at least a couple uncomfortable days a month where they're not comfortable. So... What do you, you, couldn't you live, could you live with that? You know, and it's like, honestly, I really can't. Things just will pass through. And so the letting go completely has been really it. And for me, anybody who works with me as a sponsee, it's all about the spiritual. Because for me, that has been the, the answer to it. And I had years of fundamental religion, and that's not what I'm talking about at all. That is so not what I'm talking about. It's, it's something that's actually as me, this, that power greater than that we talk about, that's me. It's in there. All I have to do is turn inward for it and be still and listen. And everything that I need comes to me. Every answer that I need comes to me. And it's not, I mean, the speaker in the last session was talking about the crazy thoughts that go on. And, you know, now, I mean, I know there are crazy thoughts that go through my mind. But a lot of them are really just about being. And they're quiet. And they're not, you know, they're not. They're not telling me to go do something that I'm going to regret tomorrow. You know, I heard some some speaker say a long time ago, nobody ever woke up regretting abstinence the next morning. You know? Yeah. And so how I live my life now, it is the kind of thing that a lot of people wouldn't want to do. I get up three days a week at 3.15 in the morning. And it is not like half measures. You know, wait, that isn't what it is. Okay. I keep on going, wait, I think I'm on the wrong one. But so 3.15 in the morning, 
I pick um, a spiritual card. My kitties used to do it with me. Now their pictures are right in front of me with their little paw prints on them. And I still say, guys, bless the cards. And my one kitty used to pick cards. And the other one never even came until his last month of life. And then he started picking cards too, which was so beautiful. So I always just pick a card that's a spiritual card to give me a message for today. And I write in my journal about what happened yesterday. Then, and I try to just find the blessings. I'm all about the blessings as much as possible to find them wherever they are. And I say, I always write on the We Care Pad, appreciation for all that is. Because to me, uh, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. It really is. No matter what's going on, I have come to trust that it is leading me somewhere that is going to be even better. Because I'm living a life. When I came in here, I was patching together three jobs, I think. I was not making much money. Um, I was living in a place that was kind of a little ragtag. And, you know, I've had these things just fall in my lap. And they're totally spiritually gifts to me. So I just keep thinking, okay, whatever happens or whatever's going on, so give me the gift here. There's a gift here. And I'm just always looking for it. So I'm in that place now where that's where it is. So then the last person who in the speaker's group last um, time said he was a tubaholic, that he takes baths. And that's me too. I take a meditation bath. I just lie in there for 15 minutes and just be still and breathe. And then I get ready for work. I often FaceTime with my sponsor because she's in Michigan, so it's perfect. Like I can call her and it's 7-something her time and it's 4-something my time and we can have, you know, I hope I don't make my neighbors crazy. But I just have that time with my sponsor every day um, or as many days as we can do it. And and she's now a therapist that you know, alcoholic turned therapist. How awesome is that? So I've got like a lot of, you know, a lot of really good feedback from her that comes. That's just glorious. And then I walk around Lake Merritt and then I go to the daily 7 a.m. meeting and then I go to work. So by the time I get to work, I've already done a lot of stuff, but it all holds me up. It's my foundation, and it really is. And somebody in the last meeting was talking about it's kind of like a pyramid and that, you know, my spiritual practice and these things that I do, they really do hold me up so that I can then go and be what I want to be in the world. I have this permission slip that I gave myself in my pocket. Um, I was taking this class where she said, I always wear jean jackets because I have permission slips. So one of my permission slips is that I have the permission to be imperfect right now. I have the permission to have fun, to tell my own part of this story about what it means to for me to go to any lengths, to do this super well even if I want, which would be cool, um, to attract people, to be a breath of fresh air, because that's my purpose in life is to be a breath of fresh air to the max, and then to make mistakes. And so I love that I can carry something like this in my pocket and that it can help me to do what I need to do and just come up and be of service. Because, you know, if you don't, and if you're a newcomer and you didn't hear a thing that helped you at all or that you could use, just next, next, you know what? Somebody else is coming on the way, another good train on the way. Who's going to come and say something else from their experience? But I'll tell you, this this program is really, it's been an amazing journey for me. And this, I am about to go on to my, I'm, I'm, I'm almost going to have 12 years in September. Um, 
I will be, have been here for 12 years, and my weight has not varied. Now, I will tell you this is miraculous because I've had, you know, I've had sizes from the highest ones in the boutique to the almost lowest ones in the boutique. And, you know, I mean, it's like, it's pretty miraculous that for 12 years I've wear, worn the same size. And actually I'm wearing a smaller size now over the last couple months, one smaller size. But that to me is, is proof and, and actually proof that their recovery works because truly, you know, I used to see people where they'd be like, do I know you? Really? Do I know you? Yeah. Or, you know, and both ends of it, actually. In fact, when I lost all that weight, I was going to go to lunch with a really old friend. And um, he walked by me in the hallway. I was at my work. And he said, hello. And he kept walking. And I said, Doug. And he was like, I hear him stop in the hallway. He comes by and he's like, what? He goes, you know what? I would, if, if we're not for that mole right there, I would not know that was you. I mean, seriously, and that's somebody who I, it hadn't even been all that long since I'd seen him. So, I mean, on all ends of it. But to be able to come here and just like, you know, steady, slow and steady. My dear friend Terry always says slow is real. And slow and steady and just, you know, doing one day at a time every day to do what I do and and then to just stay present to it because that's the other part it's like this thing about trying to get done so I can get to the next thing that's something I'm really at work on right now is to just be right here with you know looking at your eyes looking at your eyes just right here right now because it's so precious and you know, as I've lost my animals and my daughter is living in Colorado and everybody everything is like seems it's you know fleeting so that to just be right here is the biggest blessing that I could have and and I'm grateful to be able to be of service and you know what whether it was or not who knows but I just want you to know I got you I'm ready to go I'm on my way out. I'm going to my chair right now because it's time for someone else to come and step up here. But just thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this for yourself to come to the convention and be present to this and find out what might be here for you or to bring your experience, strength, and hope for other people. I think this is a really blessed thing to be doing. And so even if you're saturated, I know. Thank you. Thanks a lot for my my morning. Thank you, Mary Jo. Okay, so their second speaker is Merritt. So please welcome her. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Merritt. I'm a blamic and a gum addict. Everybody. So I made these wonderful notes, which I don't think any human being could ever read because there's lines and arrows and colors. So 
I'm going to wing it, and hopefully something valuable will come out of my mouth. And um, I must say, it's going to be hard for me not to curse. Sorry about that recording. I'll do my very best. So, um, anyway, I have a story that's full of half measures, so it's a good topic for me. When I first um, heard the topic, I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to say about that. And then I thought of my own story, and it was like, duh. So, um, unfortunately, I'm an expert on my own story, so I can talk all about that, and no one can tell me I'm wrong because it's my story. So, um, I think I'll start with that and see what happens. Um, I came into this, well, let me just say, I've been in this program for 26 years, and I've been abstinent for 24 and a half years. And um, you'll see that there's a discrepancy between when I got here and when I got abstinent. So um, it took me half measures before I could actually get abstinent, and you'll hear about that in my story. Um, what happened for me when I got here is that I heard, take what you like and leave the rest, which might have been a mistake to tell me that because I was like, the steps sound stupid. I don't like the people. I don't want to say I'm bulimic out loud. I don't really want to have a food plan. The whole thing, the steps are suggestions, so why would I do that? So basically, I didn't take anything, and basically nothing happened. So... Um, I've heard it said that the steps are not actually suggestions. You should do the steps because they work. And the problem for me is that I came in here and I thought I knew better. So um, what happened was I picked a sponsor I didn't like, but she was the only person that I knew. I When I got here, there was no dignity of choice. You're just supposed to somehow come up with a food plan. Why would you ask a compulsive overeater to come up with their own food plan, right? So, I mean, I was like, well, I like eating this, and I like eating that, and this tastes pretty good. And so, believe it or not, that didn't work. Didn't like my sponsor. She was really scary and really intense, so I didn't really tell her much of anything. If I didn't call her right at 9.15, like if it was 9.16 or 9.17, she was hella pissed at me. It was really intense. So, um... Anyway, I stuck around for a while. I didn't get abstinent. Um, in my little area in Michigan, someone came with gray sheet, which seemed really like, whoa, I can't believe anyone would do that. But all of a sudden, the people using that food plan were losing lots of weight and getting recovery, and they talked a really strong program, and so I thought I would try it. And um, they talked about how a lot of us are alcoholics with food, and alcohol is made of sugar and grains, so we probably shouldn't eat that. And I was like, wow, that's a food plan that could really work. I'm going to do that food plan. But the problem was I wasn't really doing the food plan. Like I kind of try, and then it would binge. And I had a different sponsor by then, thank God. But I, I was like, well, I don't really want to tell my sponsor that I'm not abstinent because that would, she would be upset, and I probably hurt her feelings. So what I'll do is when I'm abstinent tomorrow, I'll just tell her I was abstinent yesterday because then it will be true. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> and then the next day would come, and I really didn't want to hurt and disappoint her, and it was only two days, and this went on for six months. So every single day for six months, without exception, I called her and I told her that I was abstinent. Well, what happened was, once you have, in this community, three weeks, you had to sponsor other people. So before you know it, I'm sponsoring other people. I'm completely in the food. They have a day, and they have more recovery than me, but I'm going along like, well, I'll just tell her tomorrow. I'll just tell her tomorrow. I'll just tell her tomorrow. So um, finally, after six months, what actually happened is... I was living in Michigan at the time, and I came out here to visit my boyfriend, and I was like, God, I really love it in California. This is great. I'm going to live here, which geographic, right? So I was at a meeting, and I was like, I cannot stop lying. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I didn't want to tell anyone in Michigan that I was lying because they would all probably lose their abstinence or something, and I didn't want to do that to them. 
would be so awful for them, right? I mean, and I didn't want to tell them. I would sit in therapy every single time, and I would say, oh, yeah, I'm getting better, because I didn't want her to feel bad about herself and think she didn't know how to do her job. And so I was in therapy talking about my mother and my feeling, blah, blah, blah. And inside I was like, wow, I'm going to go to that store in the corner and get blah, blah, blah after my appointment because that tastes really good. And then I'll go here and there. And, you know, I'm talking out of my mouth and I don't know what I'm saying. And the minute I left, I would go to the store. And so I was afraid if she found out I wasn't really abstinent, then she was going to maybe lose her practice. I don't know. And then my sponsor, who thought she was helping me, I was like, well, I don't want to tell her because God only knows what's going to happen to her and her recovery and her program. And Anyway, um, and everybody else in the room, you probably all would have been in the food if it weren't for me. So what happened finally is that I, was, I didn't want to tell anyone in, a, in OA, and so I went to an AA meeting, and I grabbed someone I never saw before in my life after the meeting, and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm lying. I've been lying for six months, and I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she goes, oh, well, just tell the truth. Like, duh. And it was as if I would just, like, oh, I could just tell the truth. Who knew? And so um, what happened was I went back to Michigan, and I was I the speaker. I raised my hand to speak, and I just was like, you know what, you guys? I've been lying for six months. I'm not abstinent. I haven't been abstinent. Uh, I've been lying the whole time. And afterwards, everybody came up and hugged me and thanked me for my share and told me how proud they were of me, and I couldn't believe it. And I told my therapist, and she was somehow okay, and I told my sponsor, and her life worked out okay, too. And, um, you know... So it didn't really it didn't really work. My lying didn't work. And I honestly, like, people say that this is cunning, baffling, powerful, and that it could kill me, and I didn't believe it. I would actually say to my therapist, can you tell me again how this could kill me? Because I didn't believe it could. And then finally I actually realized that I could lie myself to death, that I was so proud and so convinced that I knew better, that I would paint myself into a corner where no one knew what was going on with me, and I would just die of this disease. Um, and anyway, you would think that would be it, right? Tell the truth. Everybody knows. No. Then I was like, oh, I really can. I was absent for maybe 30 days. And I was like, you know, I really can be abstinent and then lose my abstinence and then just tell the truth a couple of days later and I'm okay. So that went on for a period of time. What a disease, you guys, right? What is the matter with me? Anyway, so finally, this is the secret. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got to the point where I was like, my best thinking, I thought about this for years, and my very best thinking got me right here, and I cannot stop. And I always thought I could stop. There was no part of me at all that didn't think I could stop. And I finally got beat into submission by this disease, which I think is the only thing that actually works. It's just the food kicking your butt. And I woke up that morning after I benched. Let's be honest, it was later in the day because I had to bench first. And I was like, you know what? I will do anything anyone says. I will eat what they say. I will go to as many meetings as they say, make the phone calls, do the writing. I don't care what it takes. I cannot do this anymore. And then all of a sudden, see, I something changed. And I got abstinent, and I've been abstinent ever since then. And um, sure, I've lied, but I just realized my sponsor is there to help me and not there to listen to me, you know, make things up. And the only person I was really hurting was myself. So um, I have a food plan that's very clear. And it's clear if I'm eating my food plan or I'm not eating my food plan. And I love the definition for me because I don't want to have to have the question in my mind, did I just eat too much? Is that on my food plan? I don't know. Maybe I didn't eat enough, so I'll eat more later because I'm still hungry. And that, to me, is just getting into the ring with, like, a lion. And I'm going to lose every single time. So, um, 
Anyway, and I wrote down all these wonderful things that I'll just read because they were so wonderful. Um, It takes what it takes, right? For a long time, I was like, I don't know what that means. And it means I needed to lie myself almost to death and not be absent in this program for a year and a half um, until I got it. And I know a lot of people, myself included, there's that sort of thing. What is it in the big book? Oh, that we're unconstitutionally incapable of being honest with ourselves. And how many of us haven't? Maybe not all of you. I was just resting on that. That was like my laurel. Well, I must be constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. Um, And, you know, there's apparently the part in the big book where it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And I was led to believe that Bill Wilson said if he could rewrite it, he would say, never have we seen a person fail who has been willing to follow our path. Um, So... Anyway, I guess I wasn't willing to follow the path, and it doesn't work if you don't work it. I found that out the hard way. Um, And so I was thinking about, so it's my best thinking, even now, when I say, yeah, but maybe I'll just, well, I think, maybe I should. That's my disease right there. And um, I've also been told thinking is not a tool, and I believe my thinking all the time. I rely on it. I've been here that long, and it still seems like a really good idea to think myself through stuff, and it never works. It just makes me feel crazy. So um, anyway, so what happened apparently, and you could probably tell, is that I let go and I surrendered, and that made all the difference. And I don't do that easily. I don't know about you guys. Um, I have another example, which I must say it took me a really long time. Um, about to go into a part of my life where my kids are leaving. I'm going to be in an empty nest. Um, I'm going to start a whole new career, which I'm excited about, but that's a big deal. And it looks like I'm going to get a divorce. And, um, you know, the thing I remember with my food, like I would have all these problems in my life, but I wouldn't connect it to the food. I would actually think the food is the thing that's helping me get through. And so, like, I remember when my therapist, I'd be there one hour a week, and she'd be like, why don't you eat moderate meals? And I'd be like, what? You're, I'm going to be with you one hour, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to be on my own all the rest of the hours in the week. I don't know how many that is. And what do you have for me that's really going to go with me and help me? besides the like you don't have anything lady I have the food and the food is helping me it didn't help me and I had like a terrible job and a terrible relationship and I hated my mother and I hated myself I had no ambition for my life but none of that in my head had anything to do with the food right and all of a sudden it was like oh I connected the dots and everything had to do with my food so um I've been married for it was actually 23 years on Monday and I've been unhappy But not connecting the dots. I didn't think I was unhappy in my marriage. I just thought, oh, I'm depressed. Oh, something's wrong with me. Oh, I should be on medication. And I don't have a horrible marriage, but it doesn't work for me. And um, I, you know, I have these two beautiful kids. Truthfully, I would never have left probably anyway, or maybe I would. I don't know. But I wanted to be there for every single minute that they were growing up. And the idea of seeing them half the time really bothered me. But some things have happened recently, and I'm like, I shouldn't be in this marriage. And all of a sudden, when I let go absolutely, I feel so much better. And all these different things that haven't been working in my life, like it's like, oh, that's why that, and that's why that, and that's why that. And so the reality is, and probably with the food too, that I've been living in fear. And I got to say, for me, fear totally chokes God off. I cannot have a relationship with God if I'm in fear. And, you know, fear is for me like, oh, I'm not that afraid. But I don't even see it because it's like an umbrella over my head and it clouds everything. And I'm just walking around in fear. 
Um, and now all of a sudden I've let go, and I'm like, oh my god, I feel better. Oh my god, I let go in the food of the food, and I feel better. And all my little half measures that I thought were such a good idea. I mean, let me just say, with my marriage, we've been in couples counseling almost the whole time. Like it shouldn't be that much work. When I'm working that hard on something, I'm not letting God in. And I have come to understand that God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And if I'm not happy, joyous, and free for almost all my life, like after 24 and a half years of abstinence. Something isn't right, and I just haven't been able, and because it was my best thinking, to let God in as much as I can. So um, I have surrendered. I'm waving the white flag. I can't do this, and suddenly things seem to be getting better for me. Um, I... I'm starting to follow suggestions better. I realize how silly it is. You know, we come into this program and we're like, oh, my God, I'm miserable. I'll do anything. And it's like, oh, we'll make some phone Yeah, I'm not making any phone calls. And, you know, oh, we'll just go to me. You know, I don't really like the meetings that much. I don't think I'm going to go. And I was thinking about, I just had minor surgery recently, and I totally love my surgeon. I love everything about him. I totally trust him. And so he said, oh, this is what you should do afterwards to make sure everything works out okay. And I was thinking, God, I don't really want to do that one thing, and I want to start exercising before that because I, how bad could it be? I mean, that's ridiculous. And I had to remind myself, Merritt, he is an expert. We call our sponsors because they have what we want. Why wouldn't I do what my sponsor says? Like, what is my thing? thinking here. So, I mean, I think it's a half measure. It's when I think I know better than God or than what this program has to offer. This program has worked for millions of people for millions of years, you know, and um, I, my best thinking got me here. I mean, honestly. So, um, is that three minutes? Almost three minutes. Okay. So, what I've realized lately, and I haven't said this part, but um I've been working part-time the whole time my kids were at home. I've had a job that I like, but the past few years it's dawned on me, like, you know, my kids are going to leave home, and I'm going to want to do something else. And so I've been trying really hard to figure out what that thing is going to be. Keyword, figure out, right? I'm thinking, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And i got a career counselor, and what's it going to be? And you got to help me, and what about this, and what about that? And, oh, my God. Well, a couple, three months ago, I walked into this particular business. It's dog-related, which I adore dogs every time I'm with a dog. Like, if one walked in right now, I'd feel better than I do right now. Anyway, I literally set foot over the threshold of this place, and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I didn't think about it for a second. It was, it was, I think, God's will. And I keep figuring out, not really, I keep having the experience of God doing for me what I cannot do for myself and just having things work out, you know, kind of running smoothly without me getting in there and trying to run them myself. And I'm so grateful for that because it seems like when I get in there and I try to meddle with things, they don't really go that well. And I have many, many years of experiences of things not going that well and many different examples of God doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And every time I try to get in there and make it work the way I think it's supposed to work. So I'm hoping if I'm here another 26 years, which I hope to be, I'm planning on it, that I'll be able to relax a little bit more into God's will and a little bit less into my own. And um, someone told me recently or kind of came up with this more personal version of God saying to me, I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
And I just love that. I love a voice that would say that to me. And it has been my experience that if I let go, um, God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I just love hearing that because it's a very tender, loving thing, which is not like the voice that I have inside my head. Um, So I'm going to act as if God is going to do for me what I cannot do for myself as I go through a brand new job and my marriage ending and my kids leaving home. And I've already started assembling a support team. I might come up to you and ask if I could call you on a regular basis because I... I, um, what I do know that works for me is Overeaters Anonymous, and I do know that even with all these changes coming up, if I just go to meetings and I just make phone calls and I don't eat no matter what, um, and I rely on my higher power, things are going to turn out better than I could possibly imagine. And, you know, I'm all, like, spinning into the fear of everything that's going to change, and maybe the truth is, like, wonderful things are going to happen for me, and I'm going to be happy, joyous, and free, and I'm going to let God um, do for me what I cannot do for myself. So I think I still have a little bit of time, but I'm sort of sick of talking. So um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Merritt. And our final speaker now is Barbara from Fremont. Hi, everybody. Where is my thing to sign? Yes. I don't see anything that's signed. Okay, here. You got it. Okay. Hi. I'm Barbara, and I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. I just am... I could feel the tears like right here. This It just feels like this. This is the topic for me that it just, it's like it's so real. It's, this is the bottom line. This is the, you know, where the rubber meets the road and there's no more BS. You know, and, and to know that we're all here. We're all together now. You know, um, it just, it's pretty cool. Thank you guys a lot. Um, and part of me wants to say ditto, ditto, because there are certainly parts of my, their stories and everybody's story that that are just like mine and and that allows me to to take a deep breath and go okay I'm not alone it's great um I came into program uh almost 31 years ago um because I needed to be able to get into a wedding dress that I rented for $25 because I had no money and it had little covered buttons down the back and I couldn't get the darn buttons closed and so my girlfriend said, try Overeaters Anonymous. So I went in and I thought, okay, good. 12 steps, 12 weeks, I'm out of here. This is <laughs> no big deal. So this is like 31 years later. I'm, you know, here I am and thank God, you know. Um, but the first five years, I knew that maybe you guys needed to do all that stuff was su- that was suggested, but I certainly didn't because this is me we're talking about. Okay, and so I didn't get a sponsor, and I didn't work the steps, and I went to one meeting a week, and I left pretty quick after that, and I didn't call anybody, and of course nobody called me because I wasn't reaching out either. Uh, I don't, I don't think I used any of the tools. I didn't write, I didn't do any service, and I just couldn't understand how come you know I wasn't able to let go of the sugar, because that had been my nemesis my whole life. Um, when I would put sugar in my mouth when I was a little kid, it was like I had drug-seeking behavior the whole rest of the day. It was, like, it was the only thing I could think of. It was the primary purpose of my life was to figure out when I was going to get sugar again. And it was crazy. It was crazy. So um, so I would 
you know, get through the holidays and I would get through my birthday in January and I would say, okay, I'm done with this sugar. And I would white knuckle it for a couple of months, you know, and I would do okay. And then I would go back to Pennsylvania to my family, to the, you know, original scene of the crime, you know, and I knew where all the stuff was and I'd walk in the door and that was the end of it. You know, and then I would binge my way through, you know, I usually go in the summer, binge my way through the holidays, get to my birthday one year older, you know, and I do the same thing, you know, and I am not a stupid woman, but I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it that, um, that this was the pattern. I couldn't see the pattern. And then, you know, as things would move along and, and God's grace was greater than my stubbornness, um, I started to see the pattern. And and I realized also that uh, I was drinking. And I was drinking wine, you know, which is a lot of sugar and wheat. And, um, and I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to let go of the wine just till I could stop eating the sugar. You know, because I just, you know, I would do the, I don't care. You know, you don't, what do you care if I'm fat or if I'm overeating sugar? You know, we would get all feisty about it. And, and it would also set up the biochemical craving too. And so there was just no way I could stay off of sugar for any length of time without, with drinking. So this, this is my story. So just check into yourself and see if that makes any sense to you. If it doesn't, just let it go. Um, and so on my way into a fourth step retreat at a Silomar, I had actually found somebody and I had sort of whisked through the first three steps and I was determined to go to this fourth step retreat. And I thought, you know what, I have to write down what I'm going to abstain from because I'm very slippery. And if I, if I kind of had it in my head and then I did this, I would say, well, I didn't quite mean that. You know, it sort of meant this. And so I made, I sat in the parking lot and I wrote down, you know, no sugar, no alcohol. And I walked in and I wrote my first fourth step and gave it away. And that was September 9th, 1988. And I haven't had sugar or alcohol since. And it's, it, it was the surrender. It was like, I have to do this. I have to do what I'm told. Because I never wanted to do what I was told. And I always did when I was a kid. And then I just got more and more pissed off, which I didn't think about till I just said it. So that's good. Uh, it's really good to do service and share, you know. Um, so I, you know, the problem was being terminally unique and not wanting to do, you know, what I was told. Um, so... What I found was I needed to just confront that resistance head on, you know, in that parking lot. And then after that, it was not an easy thing. Um, Within about three weeks after I stopped drinking and eating sugar, I went to a high school reunion. It was my 20th high school reunion. And it was the first time I had seen all these people for 20 years. And I was going to go in there with no sugar and no alcohol. And I did, and I, I hyperventilated the whole first half hour. My husband was this incredible extrovert, and he just went around, just met everybody, and, and I couldn't find him, and I was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And so I took myself into the bathroom, sat on the toilet, shut the door, and just breathed for about three minutes until I calmed myself down. And then I went out, and there he was. He probably was there the whole time, but I don't know about you, but when I get crazy, I can't see. 
my my actual vision gets cloudy and I I can't I can't do anything. And so I said to him, I just need to tell you what's happening and and he was a very calming person. He was this black belt Al-Anon. And, you know, he would just say to me, buddy, 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 what are you doing? You know, and, and just kind of laugh me out of it, you know. And um, and so then it went on from there. And then we went to Europe. And I would drag him to the um, to all the, the bakeries and the, the stores that had the confections. And I'd say to himself, I was eating sugar. I'd have one of those and one of those and one of those. And he'd say to me, why are you doing this? I'd say, I don't know, but it's working. Just shut up and listen. And then we would, we would get into a restaurant. And I'd say, let me smell your beer. What? I said, just let me smell your beer. Okay. Okay, good. And I made it through that. I made it through Halloween. I made it through Thanksgiving. I made it through Christmas. I made it through New Year's. I made it through my birthday. I made it through Valentine's Day. I made it through Easter, you know, and I made it through a trip to Pennsylvania. And my family could not believe I was not eating sugar. They were astonished. And, oh, you're being so good. Has, have people told you that? You're being so good. It's not good. I'm saving my life. Well, they really don't want to hear that, you know, especially if they were your eating buddies, you know. So anyhow, I just had to just confront that resistance head on and just say, no, this is not an option. You know, not an option. Um, and, be, you know, before I said no, you know, like regular sugar, it was like, well, I could eat one. You know, and then if I did okay eating one, then the next day I'd go, wow, that was pretty simple. I could have two today. You know, and it was just always slippery slope from then on. It just never worked. So I had to say zero. Zero alcohol, zero regular sugar. You know, I, I do Splenda all that other stuff. But, you know, regular sugar where you could just walk into anybody's house or anybody's grocery store and pick something up without having to think about it. You know, it for me it introduced the... the the whole thing of thinking about something. Oh, I, I'm not doing this. This isn't for me. I have had enough of this. I've eaten my share over my lifetime. I know what it tastes like. I don't need to do this because I promised myself and I promised God. It just kind of makes me cry. Um, and so my story uh, especially with regard to half measures availing us nothing, we stood at the turning point. That's the next sentence in the big book. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. My life has had so many turning points that I'm dizzy, I tell you. It's every every day there's at least one, and if, there's, and if I think there's only one, I'm not paying attention. You know, half, um, the half measures that, that availed me nothing had to do with once I was, actually before I gave up sugar and alcohol, I ended up slamming straight into my adult children of alcoholics issues. And there was a lot of shame for me around those issues because they involved a lot of sexual acting out when I was in my 20s. You know, a crazy sex addict, alcoholic father. And um, I didn't know that that's what I was doing, you know. I thought I was just, you know, pretty cool and sexy and, and everybody liked me and wonderful. You know, I had no idea. I was just trying, thank you, I was just trying to get somebody to love me and stick around. 
you know, and it wasn't about me being a bad person or a slutty person. It was about doing the best I knew how to do with what I with what I knew at the time. So I get slamming into this um, the sex and love addiction and realized it had to do with my relationship with my father from years and years past. I was in my mid thirties at the time, and it took me to my knees. And I don't know. For me, I don't know that if I that I could have let go of the sugar and the alcohol without getting what was going on in that program. You know, I used to call my husband at work and say, come home and take me to the movies. I, I'm going crazy. I can't walk through this. And so he'd say, okay, come home and take me to the movies. You know, it's what's good about owning your own business. You just say, okay, you know, <laughs> or not, but he did. So, um, and I think once I could get through that, and I got through. I got through the biggest part of that, still drinking and eating sugar. And somehow that worked for me because, as I went on, you know, each new thing was like it opened more doors, and it not only opened more doors, it allowed me to move down levels of of getting stuff and levels of intensity and levels of truth and honesty and oh my god this is what was really happening oh my god you know and uh and that was pretty cool and so i call myself an equal opportunity addict uh, because what i learned was uh, and see i never got too fat or too drunk or got aids or uh, spent too much money or because i was slippery enough that i could just go back and forth among the different things, you know, if I was working too much, I, you know, I could, I overate to compensate for that. And then if I was out of control with my food, then I would try to fix you. And I would go straight into that choking codependence, you know, and then when people started saying, get out of my face, which they occasionally still do, um, then I would go, oh, oh, and then I would just shut my mouth and I would, you know, go into something else. And it was like, how I describe it is, I call it the um, gopher field theory of addiction, that that I have a field and I'm a farmer. And addiction is one disease. Now, just get this. This is my take, okay? Addiction is one disease and we all have different drugs of choice. And I am no different than somebody who shoots up heroin. Mine was sugar. You know, mine was fixing people. You know, those were the two primary ones. And so this gopher, which is the disease, is running around underneath the field, pops his head up through, or her head up through, the hole called compulsive eating. And the farmer comes over and goes, whack, whack, whack. Mole goes down underground again, or gopher. And farmer fills in the hole and goes, got that taken care of. But the gopher's still running. Because only the physical part of the disease was being addressed, or only the emotional part, or only the spiritual part. The full recovery wasn't there. And so the gopher would come up through the hole called alcohol, or the hole called codependence. And the farmer, who was me on the outside, running around, you know, hitting it on the head, and it was like whack-a-mole, you know, just covering it up. And until I actually dealt with the gopher that was running and coming up through all those holes. That was my half measures of availing me nothing. For me, if I had just done ACA recovery, there wouldn't be the, the level and the depth of recovery that I have now. If I, if I would have just done food, if I would have just done alcohol, if I would have just done sex and love addicts, 
it would have been partial and I would have continued doing the other stuff without awareness and I would have still been extremely sick you know and and it wouldn't have worked for me now you know I invite you to to look in your own life and see what's true for you that's what's true for me that I've seen over 30 years of being in these rooms and over almost 26 years of no alcohol and no sugar so okay um the other thing that that goes along with half measures availing me nothing is that um discipline is my friend you know it is not an ugly thing it is not something that beats me into submission it is not anything terrible it is my friend that when i get clear enough on what will work and i can find the discipline to do it each day one day at a time god what a wonderful thing it's just you know it's it's gone the compulsion is gone if i find the discipline to read my meditation books every morning if i find the discipline to pray if i find the discipline i have a 90 pound dog so he helps me with the discipline to walk every day um but part of half measures availing me nothing was i never wanted to exercise ever 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 my husband died six years ago and this was his dog and I was going to get rid of the damn dog. Oh, I'm not walking this dog. And someone very kindly sat me down and said, you know, don't you think you've had enough loss? How about if you hang on to the dog for a little while? <sighs> okay. I had gained 35 pounds abstinent in the years that he was dying of cancer. Because, you know, people don't bring you celery, you know, when they bring you food, you know. They bring you comfort food. And I was sitting and just holding on holding on when I hold on in any way I hold on to weight too when I let go and let God the weight goes off I don't know it it seems like magic to me but it's what happens you know and so Henry died and because I had been in these programs for so long I didn't have to overeat I didn't have to go back to drinking I didn't go out and have affairs with anybody you know I just walked through it with the grace of God and all of you who just, you know, he, he has men friends that still call me at least once a month to see how I'm doing. You know, people who aren't in program, just normal people, you know. There's people out there. There's wonderful people out there. You know, and I had to let them in. You know, because I was always real good about, you know, giving to somebody else. But letting them in, not so good. Not so good. So, um... The other things, thank you, that um, that I needed to do um, with the discipline, before I could have the discipline, I needed to continue to keep my eyes open and be open to what else I might need. You know, every time I realized I needed another program, it pissed me off. I did not want to be a newcomer one more time. It was like, damn it, you know, I don't want to do this. And I don't want to do the steps again because I did them. You know, and, but, you know, I had to do, I had to do the steps with somebody who understood that addiction or that compulsion or that obsession. You know, um, my daughter told me that she could, she could do her, her work with her food in her AA meeting. And I said, well, honey, what would you say to somebody who said that they could deal with their alcohol issues in their OA meeting? Would you, would you tell them, oh, that's a good idea? 
you know, because we we have sneaky stuff that goes along. You know, some of it's across the board, but some of it's really particular to our specific drug of choice. You know, we have our own little sneakies that other people don't get. You know, because either they have them too and they're like this with it, you know, or they just don't get it because it's not their thing. You know, so I needed to keep on, you know, going to different programs. Um, For me, I needed to be in therapy. I needed to have somebody there who didn't know me in any other part of my life, who didn't have any, you know, connection to me, love for me, whatever, who was objective. That worked for me. I needed medication. I was years in program, and I had done my steps, and I had done everything I knew how to do, including reading books and talking my head off, and still I cried every day. And I thought, you know, I got to try something else. You know, I I need to at least go to this, go into the doctor, and thank you, and say, okay, here it is. You know, and you know, I didn't want to go. And my husband said, look, just make the appointment. You don't have to go. If you make the appointment and you get to the parking lot, you can leave. If you get to the waiting room, you can leave. If he opens the door, you can leave. If you get in there and you don't want to talk, you can leave. If you get the prescription, you don't have to fill it. And I was like, oh, my God. I had choices every inch of the way, and I didn't see them. All I saw was that I was a screwed-up person because in my family, anyone who would take medication, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, and so turns out that now my nieces and nephews also need it, and they can come to me, and I can say there's nothing wrong with you. You know, we have a brain thing going on. We didn't do anything wrong, but let's fix it, okay? And the other, the last thing about half measures availing us nothing is that whole thing about acceptance of everything. You know, um, I need to be grateful for it all, and I'm grateful for you. Thanks. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you to all three of you. Um, We now have questions from the Ask It Basket. So um, I was supposed to categorize them all, but I'm not going to do that. There are too many, too many really good questions. So here's a question, and I'll let you all decide who takes it. How did you get to the place of surrendering and stopping half measures? Oh, right. You need to come up here. Sorry. Um, you know, I had to write down all those things before I got here. You know, it was um, discipline and, and, you know, just the stuff I just said that I had to keep my eyes open and, and just be open to something else and, you know, that I wasn't finished. And, you know, it's an everyday thing. And I know that there's something coming next that I'm going to need to surrender to again. I want to think, you know, that, okay, haven't I done enough? Well, the answer is probably no, because I'm still breathing. So. (laughs) Okay, a couple of questions about your food plans. The first one is, are you still on gray sheet? Are any of you in 90 days of OA how? 
And the other question is to each of you, what does your food plan look like? So I'm no longer on gray sheet. I kind of wish I was just because it was so clear cut and I love clear cuttedness around my food. As I said, I think it's just wonderful and it totally works at food plan. Um, I never heard of the 90 thing, so I can't speak to that. And um, the way my food looks today is that there are very clear things that I do and don't eat. Um, I don't eat sugar. There are certainly snack foods that I don't eat. I weigh and measure my food as much as possible, and I'm happiest when I can. Um, if I go out to eat, obviously it's not always possible, although I did used to bring um, my scale with me and my cups with me, and sometimes the wait staff would laugh at me, but you know what? I would leave the restaurant, and I would be abstinent, and so it was like, too bad for you. I feel good. Um, I call ahead to weddings and things I'm going to go to and make sure there's stuff I can eat there. I'm vegan and have been for a long time, and so there often isn't stuff I can eat, so I'll bring backup food. Um, I don't know if that's all the different things, but that's a lot of the things. Um, for me, I never did any of the gray sheet or the how um, programs. And in fact, I think when I first came, I, somebody was doing how, and I said, well, just give me the diet and I'll do it. And so I was like cutting up and I was like cutting the vegetables for like the third day. And I was like, what the hell? No. So then I, that was that. Um, so for me, it really is the no sugar, no flour thing helps me a lot because it just eliminates a lot of conversation and everybody around me knows what I do. So, you know, my mom's getting a little dementia. So every once in a while she'll still say, well, can't you? And I just go, no, <laughs> so I don't even bother explaining it anymore. And most everybody understands it. But um, so for me, a lot of it has to do with weighing and measuring as well. But I can be weighing and measuring and be crazy as a loon. So uh, it, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. So, I mean, it's just like my structure's there in place. But I do, um, somebody, a long time ago, we had a spiritual um like meeting it was kind of a it was about the spiritual aspect of the program we had an event and i heard a speaker there say that she always um actually she heard someone say it and then she thought to herself gosh this is great that they would just say the first three steps in the serenity prayer before they ate and she said to she thought to herself god bless you if you can put that much space between yourself and your food <laughs> which is really right on so the first one in the morning I do on my knees, and I just do it. And, you know, sometimes I'm kind of doing it so rote that I'm not really hearing it. And actually this morning I was, did I get on my knees? I think I did. Did I do that? So I went and did it again. I'm pretty sure I did it twice today. But, um, in, you know, when I'm going to sit and eat lunch or a meal, even if I'm in a restaurant, I'm just doing it in my mind. And they don't know it. Nobody else hears it. I'm just saying it for myself. But that really helps. And then also with my plate once it's on my plate because I'm always I said to one of my friends at work I'm always sad when lunch is over <laughs> it's kind of true you know it's just this kind of sadness or whatever but anyway I always just say may this be enough and pray it may this be enough you know and if I ask for spiritual help it always comes for 
So I knew I had to find a way to not feel deprived because that, that just sets me up right there. Um, I started out no sugar, no alcohol, and wasn't quite sure what else I was going to do. Uh, and it has e- evolved over time. Um, I've gotten more um, general. I uh, actually have gained 35 pounds twice in program, not eating sugar or not drinking. Um, and the first time, I had to let go of carbs. You know, I was eating stuff that looked to be like I should be, you know, just fine, either maintaining or losing, and I was gaining weight. My body reacts to carbohydrates, you know, so I, you know, I had to, at that point, what I did was I I only ate, um, you know, kind of white carbs one meal a day, you know, potatoes, rice, pasta, you know, bread, whatever. Um, And so I did that for years. Weight came off, no problem. Um... And then, and then when Henry died, it came back on again. And uh, and now I don't do the those those carb things with just one meal a day. But I'm really aware of not eating much of that stuff at all, and um, and smaller portions. Just now at 63, am I able to eat smaller portions? Because it used to piss me off when I go to lunch with someone thin, and they go, "Oh, how could I possibly eat all this?" You know, and I'd want to slap them. <laughs> and, and I would always eat everything on my plate very fast when they said that because it was their fault. Anyhow. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to shift a tiny bit to another area. When the voices start talking, how do you get the voices to shut up? That's one. I'm going to read all three of these. When you've been doing ten steps and you still can't let things go, what do you do? What's the next level for you? And I'll add the last one here of this category. How do you realize when you're not letting go completely or when you're trying to get by with half measures? What do you do then to change that? Yeah. Okay, I'll, do, I'll line them up. All three are right here. And you can, one of you answer, or all of you, I'll leave it to you. Because we have more questions. That third one, I think, is really tricky because it's like you're, the, when you've been, when um, you're not letting go completely, I think part of that is that um, just not even being in yourself, in your body. I think that's really a tricky one, so I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. I feel like the voices part, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, because my voices are pretty much calmer now, but I really have, um, I had read this book, and I won't tell you the name, but you can ask me after if you want to know it, but it helped me so much because it was talking about being the watcher that that is our higher power in my mind, that there is always a watcher, and it is uh, the higher being. And so when the thoughts start going and they roll around, I just start to watch them because they're very neutral, honestly, unless we grab a hold of them. They're very neutral. They just will keep rolling by. And my really dear friend the other day, I, I hear her mind in her mind, I hear her voice in my mind a lot saying, oh, there's that one again. 
Oh, there's that one again. And without that charge on it, it's just like, oh, it's not me. I mean, really, some thoughts come in my mind that are so far from how I feel about anything that I, that tells me something, that I'm just sort of absorbing the thoughts of the universe. You know, there are fl- thoughts that are floating out there, and they grab on. And whether or not I want to hold on to those or not, that's the trick. And I actually have said to somebody recently, it's like, if if thoughts go on, if you hear something in your mind that says, you know, you know that old one about your purple polka dotted pig or whatever, would hear that and we'd just be like, whatever, okay. But if it's something that grabs me, then there's something there for me. And that's when I think writing is a great tool. I just say, like, pull it down into the paper and just start looking at it. Like, why is this? You know, like my friend Cindy used to say, take the charge off of it. Why? You know? A neutral question. What? Yeah, I wonder why that is. It's really good. Stay there. Stay here. Okay. So we have three questions for Mary Jo. What? I know. And you have to answer. Okay. (laughs) What? Stop. Okay. One of them says, "Did you find? How did you find such a great spiritual sponsor?" I'm afraid to change sponsors. Um. Honestly, she wasn't always, she was an alcoholic drug addict, my first, my main sponsor. And, um, you know, when I told her lately, somebody came up to me after I did a share and they told me I broke the sixth tradition. I, I kind of really didn't even know how I did. I wasn't even sure. I think I, I talked about another program or something, but, um, her, her response to me was fuck her. <laughs> so, you know, she's not that spiritual, honestly. Yeah. But she does, like, she does just remind me. Her favorite thing to me is, well, you know you're going to die. So, I mean, whatever it is, she says that. Um, There's another question. Are there days that you aren't able to do your complete morning practice? And if so, what do you do instead as a substitute? Like if it's raining, because I worry about my hair, which is so stupid. Um, sometimes I do stuff at home, but I was trying to do it. I live with people who live upstairs from me. And so I was like, you know, worried about jumping around or whatever at my house. But then I found out my neighbor, she took the whole garage to do Richard Simmons or whatever. So now that I know she's got that, I'm like, I don't care if I make noise, whatever. Cause you know what, when they're having a little like encounter up there, it's a little bit like embarrassing. So I'm like, dudes, I'm down here, you know? So I'm trying to like just be able to do that, but no, for the most part, I really do. When that alarm goes off, I just am like, get your feet on the floor. Once your feet are on the floor, they get get them a little further in. And I I really just do. I do it. I don't argue with that one. Um, I only do the three fifteen three days a week. The other days I get up at three forty five, so that's my sleeping day. <laughs> And then on those days, I don't walk the lake, but I try to park further and do a little more something. That is so. So how do you help a sponsee who is not interested in the spiritual leg of our program? Uh, You know, I have people, usually that's why they come to me, because they're not. So I know that they're trying to figure out, how do you do, why, what is that about for you? And honestly... Most of the time, I just really gently say, well, just try this. How about just saying, may this be enough? Or how about just, you know, I mean, most honestly, most of my sponsees do not believe in the, that power. And 
I just try to see it as an intelligence because you can't argue with the intelligence that has our body doing what it does. We don't have to think about a thing it's doing. It, it, you know, it does our food. It makes it go where it's supposed to go. You know, every creature that's out there, they, they know how to do stuff. I mean, how do they know how to do what they're supposed to do? Any creature out there, you, if you ask yourself that, there's an intelligence that's holding it up. To me, that's all it is. You know, and I can say bad things to it, and it doesn't care because it's neutral. It doesn't care. And so you can argue, you know, argue and say, you know, F you or whatever you want to say to that, that presence, and it won't leave you. And it's real loving, you know. It just will keep holding on to you. That's the thing that I know is it won't let you go. It's a, it doesn't always make sense how the ways it holds on to you. Sometimes, like, you're lagging, you're, you're dragging your way out. But it's gone. It's there. Thank you for asking. more questions. What? No. No. No, you can sit down. Okay, we have two more. Is, are we okay with doing the last two? We're supposed to end by 4.30. Okay. Here's... Here's one. Half measures means abstinence, but don't want to follow a food plan. What do you do when you don't want to eat what is on your food plan for dinner? And then here's the other one. How do you differentiate between self-care versus not taking measures to work a strong program? For example, skipping a meeting because you're tired and want to rest. So I'll let you guys decide. I'm going to put these right here. Yeah. self-care versus not taking measures to work a strong program. Well, so the one about differentiating between self-care versus not taking measures to work a strong program, one thing that I've been really psyched to figure out is that I don't have to do this perfectly. Um, I mean, there's tons of stuff, sadly, that I don't do that I wish I did or that I might do tomorrow, really, honestly, you guys, after you heard me before. Um, And you know what? If I skip a meeting because I'm tired, then I try to schedule one for another time during the week, or maybe I'll make a phone call. Um, Maybe I'll do some writing. I know people like to – I've never done this, but the phone meetings – or the online meetings or whatever they have. They have wonderful podcasts at LA Intergroup, and so sometimes I might actually like listening to those all the time anyway. Um, but so there's, I think there's ways to work your program without um, – there's certainly not a perfect way to do it, and I don't think God expects us to be perfect. So I think we do the best we can, and um, we're going to be taken care of on that one. And um, I – you know, I don't know if any of us come in and want to follow a food plan. I mean, some people seem to come in and be desperate and willing to do whatever it takes right away. And that obviously was not my story. So I think for me, what happened is that you kind of do what you do until I think like over time, one's food plan becomes more obvious and you figure out what works and what doesn't work. And hopefully you kind of um, learn a lesson from that till eventually whatever works for you will reveal itself. So um, I don't think you have to want to work a food plan right away. I just think you have to be willing to um, do the next right thing with your food and if not it'll kick your butt and then it'll make you willing so don't worry about that um and i think if you don't want to eat what's on your plate for dinner what's on your plan for dinner um i think it's really helpful to just if you already call in your food or send in your food just call your sponsor call someone say hey I committed blah 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 and i'm gonna eat blah 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 instead or maybe the next time you talk to your sponsor not that you're trying to get away with anything but just say, i have to be honest i um 
I ate such and such instead of such and such because I didn't feel like eating that or something happened and I couldn't eat that. And, um, you know, if nothing else, maybe what you heard me share, but if you didn't, the only thing I say to my sponsees is I don't care what you did. I don't care how you did it. Just tell me the truth. I don't care what it is. I'm going to love you and accept you no matter what, but just be honest. So um, I think if you don't eat what's on your plan, you just tell at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, then you're going to be good. All right. Um, well, we've gone through all the questions. So the instructions say it's now time to close the session. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. Let's thank our speakers and those who did service. And our timekeeper who isn't here, but nevertheless. Um, please collect the time signs. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's all we have. So we're going to say a closing prayer of some kind. What would we like to say? You pick it. Serenity? How's that? Yeah. Oh, it's freezing. My hands.